Hello, Rochester Life. I have great news for you today, and I'm looking forward to diving into God's Word with you. We are in the midst of a series titled Trials, and today we are going to be in Acts chapter 15, which is the Council of at Jerusalem. Um, but rather than titling it that, I felt the need to try to keep the momentum that Daryl and Joe uh, established the last two weeks. Uh, Daryl starting off the series with Prison Break, and then Joe last week with Beatdown. And so this week's message, I decided to title The Mutilation. And uh, we'll get into that a little later here. Um, last week's trial had a physical component where Paul and Barnabas were facing physical threats to their life by preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, and the, the Jews uh, did not like that. This week's trial has more of a theological courtroom aspect to it. So maybe picture one of your uh, favorite uh, courtroom or uh, kind of dramas in your head while we're working through this story today. Uh, this is this is actually one of my favorite uh, Bible stories, but I got lots of favorite Bible stories. They're all great, right? Um, this is a crossroads that we find ourselves in here in this story, and it really sets the trajectory of the church and whether or not we would be just another sect of Judaism or if it would be something different. And it would also establish what sound doctrine would be that uh, salvation is by faith alone in Christ Jesus. So last week we read that, uh, about the first missionary journey and how Paul and Barnabas preached Jesus to the Gentiles and they were, um, they were turning to God. They were being filled with the Holy Spirit and it was something new and something great. They returned to Antioch of Syria and told of all the great things that God was doing amongst the Gentiles. Then the opposition came. Another group came up from Judea with another message. And it was a different gospel, but it's not another gospel, for there's only one gospel. It was a message that Paul would later write to the church in Philippi and call, it, call this message the mutilation. So let's go ahead and pick up the story in Acts chapter 15, uh, and I'll start in verse one. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and elders. And they reported all the things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And so we see here, uh, there's this group of 
certain men. And so anytime you read in the scriptures of certain men, uh, it should raise flags that these are bad guys. There's some uh, bad doctrine going on here with them. Um, this is what, these are the, this, this group is what Paul refers to as believing Pharisees and false brethren. They preach a different gospel, a, a gospel, a mutilated gospel of Jesus plus. And in this case, it's Jesus plus Moses is the gospel that they're preaching. Acts 4.12 tells us, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So Jesus plus is a mutilated gospel. It's a doctrine of demon, Paul says. Much of Paul's writings were devoted to the defense of the faith. And specifically, the attack of a message of having to go back under the law after being set free. So Paul and Barnabas stood up and preached Christ only. Within our faith, there are essentials. And then there's non-essentials. This was an essential for Paul and Barnabas. So the Gentile church sent Paul and Barnabas to represent them. Wow, if we just had representatives like Paul and Barnabas in today's world with this uh, injustice and the uh, persecution and all the craziness and the godlessness that's going on in this world right now, if we just had some representatives like them, right? You know, I was just having a discussion with a friend um, within the last couple of weeks, and we uh, kept going back that we just need leadership right now. We need somebody to, to, to lead us and get the, uh, the momentum going, you know, to, to help our cause right now for freedom and liberty in this country. Uh, but at the end of the discussion, we realized it's Jesus is the one that we need to be looking for. Um, and so I have good news. Our representative is so much better than Paul and Barnabas. It's the great, he's the greater than Paul and Barnabas, and that's Jesus Christ the righteous who's at the right hand of the Father, and he's making intercession for us right now. And because Christ is righteous, we are righteous. So let us not look to or look for another man like those in the world are, but let us look for Jesus and let us wait patiently for his coming. So continuing on, We'll pick up in verse six. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. And so here, in, uh, Peter makes reference to the story about him in Acts 10, where uh, about the centurion um, named Cornelius 
and God um, called Peter to preach the gospel to Cornelius, and he, he sent a, a dream to him uh, where it was actually a dream of food. It was a, a meat lover's buffet that came down from heaven, and uh, Peter said, no, Lord, I, I, I won't eat this because it's unclean, and God gave him a message that he should not call unclean what, he, what God calls clean, and so it was making a reference to the Gentiles that, uh, that the Gentiles... Um, were to be saved and to be, uh, that the gospel was to be preached to them. And so Peter went to Cornelius and he preached Jesus and Cornelius and his whole house was, were saved. And uh, he makes mention about the, that the law uh, is a yoke, you know, and that there's, a, there's, a, there's a, this bondage to the law of Moses. Um, and we know that Jesus tells us that his yoke is easy and that his burden is light. And so I love that contrast there. Continuing on, verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things, Known to God from all eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So now James the half-brother of Jesus and the author of the book of James stands up for the Gentiles here. And he delivers a verdict. And this verdict would determine the course of history, really, on whether or not Christianity would just be another sect, another part of Judaism, or if it would be something new. And James identifies that this is the fulfillment of a prophecy given by Amos uh, in chapter nine of, of, uh, of the book of Amos, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and we should not trouble the Gentiles who are turning to God. So he acknowledges that this is a move of God not seen before because he mentions that Moses has been taught throughout every city and in the synagogues every Sunday, but there hasn't been this revival before. There hasn't been this response to God. This is something new. This is something special. It's a move of the Holy Spirit that they can't, that they don't want to, well, for one, that they can't stop, but for two, they don't want to get in the middle. You know, they don't want to, they don't want to be a hindrance to the Gentiles being, turning to God and being saved. So, uh, so God was doing a new thing. Jesus told us, or he says, uh, destroy this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. And he is building a new house and we're that house. We're the temple of God. 
And he's calling out his own special people, zealous for good works, who are the church, which is made up of both Jew and Gentile. Isaiah 25, seven tells us, and he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. And so the mountain that he mentions here is a reference to Mount Zion. And Mount Zion, in a broad uh, perspective, is making uh, mention of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, because Jerusalem sits, is situated on Mount Zion to the west, and then to the east, there's uh, Mount Moriah. And back in uh, the days of Jesus, there was a valley that, a small valley that separated the two, where in uh, today in Israel, there's, that's pretty much been filled in, and so it's kind of one continuous um, area there. But in a broad aspect, Mount Zion refers to Jerusalem. Uh, in a more concise aspect, Mount Moriah speaks to the Temple Mount, and then uh, Golgotha or Calvary speaks to the peak or the the the, um, the outcropping just outside of the city where we know that Jesus was crucified. And so, you know, when we when we look at this this mountain where God is going to destroy the covering cast over all people, you know, he's going to re- remove that what separates and that what hides, um, you know, the veil, this, this, this hidden um, salvation. He's going to remove that. And it's in that mountain. And so it's, I believe it's speak, making reference to specifically, uh, well, Calvary uh, on Mount Moriah there within Jerusalem, Mount Zion proper, And what's amazing about Mount Moriah is that when we look at that, we look back to the story of Abraham, and that's the very mountain that Abraham took Isaac up to offer a sacrifice. And then that's where God revealed himself to Abraham and Isaac as Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides a substitute, a substitute sacrifice that he provided on that day so that Isaac could be saved. And then we look at the story of, uh, of the threshing floor that David purchased uh, to stop the plague after he conducted a census and the angel was about to destroy Jerusalem and God uh, had David purchase this threshing floor that happened to be on Mount Moriah. Um, and so it... Mount Moriah, atonement was made to save Jerusalem um, from from the sin that David committed there. And so um, that ended up becoming the place where Solomon built the temple. And then we see that Jesus uh, was made his ultimate atonement on that same very mountain, Mount Moriah. And so it's just amazing, you know, and uh, in this story, we see that, that, that God removed that covering cast. And so as we know, when Jesus uh, was crucified, when he made atonement, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, removing that barrier between God and man and the Gentiles. 
So now anyone who calls on the name Lord can come into the Holy of Holies and into God's presence. And it's just amazing, isn't it? Uh, James asked the Gentile believers to abstain from food prepared for idols and from sexual immorality. And so these, these were guidelines that they established to create an environment where the Jews and the Gentiles could come together and fellowship and have meals together and worship God together, that there would, there would be a unity between them, um, that there would be a unified church. So continuing on in verse 23, they wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Kilikia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us had troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. And so I just love that story. They, you can just picture uh, the gratitude, the, you know, it'd be like winning the Super Bowl, right? They would be, uh, you could picture them jumping up and down, <laughs> giving high fives and whatnot. But because they, they, they found Jesus in this uh, gospel of grace, and then Paul um, basically came back with a victory that they did not have to come under the bondage of the law and follow the law of Moses and become Jews. They could be f free and liberated as uh, followers of Christ with the Holy Spirit in them. And so I see two major themes in this story, and one is the law of Moses. Uh, the temptation of the message of the Judaizers was twofold. To the Jewish believers... It was a temptation to go back under the law rather than walking in the liberty of the spirit. To continue to bring their sacrifices and their offerings to observe weeks and days and months. To the Gentiles, there was a temptation um, because there was a certain glory to the law of Moses. You know, it was this system. It was this community. It was a, a beautiful thing. You know, um, you could just picture uh, in the temple Back in the temple days when the sacrifices uh, were being offered and the incense um, was rising to heaven and it was, uh, there was a glory to it, a, a, a beauty to it. Um, so, and, then, and then that kind of correlates or corresponds to uh, an attractiveness to real religiosity. You know, um, we just, we really want uh, checklists. Uh, we want... Um, rules and regulations sometimes because we want to feel like if we do this or that, that, that we're doing our part or our fair share, that, that we're, um, you know, earning something that we're, we're, uh, we're uh, indebted to. Uh, 
Romans 10.4 tells us, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So we have already arrived. If you're in Christ today, you cannot be any more righteous than you already are. Uh, what was the primary purpose of the law of Moses? Galatians 3.23 and tw- through 25 tells us, before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. And so I was raised Catholic, and we went to church very regular, regularly on Sundays. Uh, I learned all the stories, uh, the Old Testament stories about Adam and Eve and creation and Moses and Noah and learned about Jesus and the cross. Uh, I also went to Catholic school from uh, grade one through grade eight. And I had great teachers. Um, And I, I apologize to them. I take this as a moment to apologize because I was uh, a rebel and a young punk um, for most of my, a majority of my life during that period. And, uh, but I just look back at that time and it really was a schoolmaster for me. If I didn't have the law that I was learning, um, I would have been in a really different place. I would have been, I was already off track, but I would, would have been, uh, I would have already been off the cliff or off the waterfall, I'm sure. And so God used that time, as, as a, as that period for me as, as, as kind of this uh, schoolmaster, this law. Um, you know, before faith, you couldn't escape the law. It's a, it was a testimony against us. The law exposes our sin. Its purpose was to bring us to Christ. It's always been about justification by faith, even in the Old Testament, because the burden of the law was unbearable. Scripture says, behold, the volume of the book speaks of Jesus. So all the Bible stories, all the typologies, all the heroes of the faith, the cities, the mountains that we were just talking about, the genealogies, the, temp, the construction of the temple, uh, all the artifacts, the utensils, it all points to Christ. It all points to Jesus. But after faith, after we come to faith, we are no longer under that schoolmaster. Uh, Romans 7 equates the relationship to the law as a marriage. And a woman is bound to the man as long as the man is living, as long as the husband is living. But once the husband dies, she is free to marry another. And so we have died with Christ and have been loosed from that commitment. And then now we are joined to him in marriage. uh, We're the bride and he's the husband. We're now married to him. Uh, Romans chapter seven, verse four says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, 
that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And I like the New Living Translation, um, the way it states it for verses five and six. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. And uh, so I've got this illustration. I don't know if it's the best illustration, but it makes sense. It kind of makes sense to me. And uh, it's funny. God has shown me so many things about his character just with uh, my relationship with my dog. And I've got this amazing dog. His name's Marley. Some of you might have met him. But uh, Marley likes to run. And uh, we, when we go on walks, he likes to run and through the bushes and whatnot. Um, we also go on longer walks where I got to put him on a leash. And he doesn't really like that, you know. He, he, he likes to, to be able to kind of go where he wants to go and, and whatnot. And, but it's interesting Along the walk, um, and usually it's after uh, we've, we've made the, the, the longest portion of the journey and we're on our way back, there's times when I have to look down to see if he's even there because he's right at my hip and there's slack in the leash and he's just walking in step with me. And, you know, that's kind of the picture that I have of, of, uh, of, of walking with Jesus, that, um, that we're to be just walking with him um, he's got boundaries for us and he's, he directs our steps and he's not going to let us go over the cliff or the waterfall, but uh, his desire is that we would just be walking with him and that there would be, there, there would be that slack, that there wouldn't be uh, tension and tugging, but we would just be walking with him. And that's kind of the, the picture that the Lord has given me. Um, see, it was impossible to please God while we were under the law because the law was spiritual, but we, are, we were carnal. And even if we obeyed the law, it would be an outward appearance because our heart was still wrong. And so really, at the end of the day, we would just be what Jesus referred to the Pharisees as is whitewashed sepulchers. So we would just be this nice, clean tomb with dead man's bones in it, you know? And uh, that's not, that's not, that doesn't speak life to me. So the law was good and was in place to expose our exceeding sinfulness. The only way to please God is to be spiritually minded. And Galatians 5.18 tells us, but if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. So Paul makes this condition that to be released from the law, we have to be led by the spirit. And I just love that. So to be out from under the schoolmaster we're led of the Spirit. And the Spirit also gives us power over the sin that dwells in us. So at the end of the day, it's about relationship and not religion. Uh, the, the second and last uh, point, I guess, is uh, in the story was referring to the unity of believers, Jew and Gentile together. And the church leadership established a code of conduct that was different from the law of Moses, uh, but it was to preserve unity within the fellowship and to produce an environment that was 
good for both Jew and Gentile to worship God together and to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. The New Testament isn't a new covenant of laws, but it's a covenant of mercy and grace. But if I, if we uh, follow the admonishments and exhortations and the encouragements uh, on Christian living in the New Testament, we will do well for ourselves. There's so much wisdom there, you know. Uh, it's just beautiful, you know, to, to love our neighbor as ourself, uh, to steal no longer, but to work with our hands and to save up uh, for those in need, um, to not repay evil with evil, but with good, to abstain from sexual immorality, to not be given to wine in excess, to not be drunk, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's just so much wisdom and encouragement there, and, and we will do well if we follow, uh, follow the, the word. But God knows our frame and how weak we are. So he has simplified his commands for us, and he's also given us the helper, the Holy Spirit. We've gone from 613 and the law of Moses to one, which is love. In Galatians 5, 13 and 14 tells us, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And 1 Corinthians 16, 14 tells us, let all that you do be done with love. So more often than not, or more often than I like to admit, I find myself doing things uh, in my flesh, motivated by the flesh, by envy, uh, jealousy, pride, anger. You know, the list goes on and on. Greed, even hatred, um, I hate to say. But this really comes down to a trust issue. It comes, into, it comes down to trusting Jesus in all my circumstances so that I don't have to try to manufacture something on my own. Um, so it is. It's really just trusting Christ, trusting Jesus. And then that opens the door for us to be able to love. When we trust Jesus, we can love. But that sounds simple, right? But how do we love? Uh, what I found in my walk and in my life that when I meditate on the Lord, how powerful he is, how magnificent, how sovereign he is, when I stand in awe of him, of his creation, you know, I was just out today walking around looking at the uh, fall foliage, you know, the 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 changing of the seasons. I mean, it's just amazing the design and the, the thought that God uh, put into, into his creation. Um, when we meditate on his power, admi admiring the night sky, the starry sky, the billions and billions of stars and other uh, 
solar systems and other galaxies that are out there. It just blows your mind. Um, and then when we meditate on how he first loved us, that it was him that loved us first, not us, but him. When we, when we think of that we are known to God, it's not that we know God, but we're known to God. God knows you. Um, how he called you and how he's chosen you, how he's secured your salvation, your salvation secure in Christ. When I meditate on these things, I can't help but respond to him uh, and draw near to him. And then that opens uh, up the ability to be able to love, to love him and to, to love others and to try to uh, do things motivated by love rather than uh, my flesh. Um, so we find ourselves today, uh, like Joe mentioned uh, uh, several messages ago, um, how we're in a, well, actually it was around 9-11 because it, it was a reference to how about 20 years ago, how united we were um, with, with, with uh, the situations that were going on in the world as a nation and as a church. But we're uh, basically in an opposite situation right now where we're divided in multiple areas in our nation and in our church. And so how do we deal with that? Because the story talks about unity, uh, being able to have a, a place, uh, an atmosphere, where we can come together in unity as a church body and to, to love each other and to love God, to worship him, to, to do good deeds. How do, we, how do we become unified again? And really, the, I believe that the answer is that we look up. We look up at Jesus. We look into his word. And as we do that, we are looking, we're, we have our eyes fixed on him. And so we only see each other in the peripheral vision that we have. We're not focused on each other's uh, differences. And um, so we're rather, we're fixed, we're, our, our eyes are fixed on Jesus and we're unified in that. And so these, these differences that we have don't appear to be so big or so large of an obstacle any longer because our eyes are on him. So Jesus is the answer. Amen. Uh, in closing, my prayer for you, for myself, this week is simple. It would be that we would be led of the Spirit and that we would do all things in love. And if we are able to do that, we will do well this week. And so with that, farewell. Look forward to seeing you all soon. God bless you.